purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Hey, it's Kevin, and I want to welcome you to this episode, number 102 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. And once again, we're doing something different. This conversation has actually been in the making for a few months now, and I'm incredibly grateful for the trust and the vulnerability involved in what you are about to hear. And I mean this seriously, folks. This is one of those conversations where the day before we started to record it, I just paused. And I mean literally and figuratively, I paused and I asked myself, we asked one another, are we really going to do this? Have this conversation? Open ourselves up and talk about something that's really deep, personal, something that in other circles some people would use to smear or denigrate you. Yeah, and as I was preparing for this, I started tearing up with gratitude about this conversation is we, you and me, are about to be joined by two amazing women, women who are brave hearts, beautiful souls and minds and bold. You, yeah, I'm talking to you. You might be like me and have had those moments when you hear that voice and you're tempted to believe To believe this, that everybody else has their act, their game, their stuff. And yes, if you'll let me say shit together, but not you, not me. I'm the only one who's terrorized by these paralyzing thoughts. No, no, you are not. And I want you to hear this and know this and most importantly to believe this. You are not the only one. From time to time, most everyone I know, and I'm blessed to know some pretty amazing and remarkable people, two of whom you're about to meet, and you probably wouldn't believe. If this were live TV, we could do one of those segments where their faces are concealed, their voices are disguised, and allow them to tell their story, and then their identities were revealed, you'd be going, no way, not that person, not as accomplished as they are. They've never dealt with this stuff. Yes, they have. And that's what we're here to talk about today, the imposter syndrome, and how all three of us have had to deal with it. So please note, these words were chosen carefully and are listed in the present tense, not just the past tense. Hello, my name is Kevin, and yes, there are times when I feel like I'm an imposter. So today, I want to welcome two dear friends of mine, Kimberly Davis and Dr. Melissa Hughes. Join us for this fascinating what we call Humans First Jam Session. Hey folks, this is going to be an incredibly fun, awesome episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Today we're joined by Kimberly Davis and Melissa Hughes. So say hello. (laughs) Hi guys. (laughs) So excited to be here, Kevin and Melissa. And where are you joining from, Kimberly? I'm joining you from Austin, Texas. It's a gorgeous day here. It's kind of steamy. It's about 85 degrees and it's a beautiful day. And Melissa, you? I am joining you from Naples, Florida, where every day is like paradise and it is um, gorgeous out there today. But it's like paradise being here with the two of you as well, two of my favorite people in the world. So thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, Kimberly. This is going to be fun. This is the first one of these that we've done. The label for these that I kind of had is a jam session. So folks, this is very unscripted. There is nothing scripted about this. <laughs> we kind of picked the topic and said, what if we just started talking about this? But before we do that, I like to ground all of our conversations on the podcast in gratitude. So Kimberly, Melissa, what's something you are grateful for in this moment? Oh, you want to go first? <laughs> I'll go first because I know I'm grateful that the two of you, that I've met the two of you, and that I've been able to collaborate with the two of you and have these amazing conversations because this podcast actually sprung out of a conversation that the three of us had. So I'm just super grateful to be in your orbit today. 
Uh, well, she just stole mine, Kevin. But um, I knew I would steal it. <laughs> that's why you went first, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Well, so if I have to come up with my close second, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for. But I'm really grateful that I don't have a cold anymore. I've had a horrible cold over the last week, and I can breathe, and that's an amazing thing. And I don't have snot running down my face, which is <laughs> a really amazing thing. And sometimes in life, it's the little things you could be most grateful for. Amen to that. <laughs> well, I'm grateful that there's not snot running down your nose. That is a very interesting sound effect on a podcast. <laughs> so, folks, so the three of us have actually been together in person before. So many of these times I'm connecting with people on Zoom that I love and have gotten to know, but we've never occupied the same physical space together. But Kimberly, Melissa, and I have done that. And then a few weeks ago, as Melissa was saying, we just kicked around this idea. And one day, Kimberly, I think, called and said, I think I have it. Let's talk about this. So before we get into this, I want to do something. I want to ask you, I want to give a quick high-level overview of your backgrounds. Because, well, the this we're going to talk about is the imposter syndrome. And if this were an imposter's anonymous meeting, I want to ask Kimberly, Melissa, would you join me in standing up and saying, hi, my name is Kevin, and there are times that I feel like an imposter. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no question. I'll join them. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Same here. I mean, I've been pretty driven my whole life, and I have, you know, if this is what it takes to get an A, I want to know what it takes to get an A+. What I've learned in my lifetime that while that can serve you well and actually push you and drive you to achieve and to work hard, it also can be one of those things that makes that imposter syndrome just an obstacle that is just almost crippling. And I've experienced that in my lifetime. So I raise my hand. My name is Melissa and I have been an imposter. <laughs> yeah. Now, before we hit record, we were talking about this, that part of the challenge of this it's people who are accomplished that wrestle with the imposter syndrome. I mean, you know, there's some folks that it's just not on their radar screen, and they're probably still in kindergarten at this point in life. But let's do a quick high-level overview of your backgrounds. You're both published authors. I'm not, but you're both published authors. You're both accomplished business owners. You're celebrated keynote speakers. And then I would add on top of that, you're both delightful and amazing human beings. But is there anything else that you would add that at times works against you in that feeling an imposter? You know what I mean? These are folks that are high-level people. I can speak to that a little bit, I think. And I think, Kimberly, you may be able to identify with this as well, but maybe not so much because you do work. You work you know, at school, you have those folks, the classes and the coursework that you, I think for me, one of the biggest challenges, I do so much on my own, that when I get stuck in that place of imposter syndrome, I'm getting better at it. And I reach out to folks like you guys, and you know, the Sarah Elkins of the world, who by the way, I'm grateful for her as well, because she brought us all together in this space. So I need to give her a shout out always. But I think you know, we're not good at people who are really accomplished and driven and, you know, high achievers are not great at reaching out for help, reaching out and saying, you know, I'm really stuck. I need help or I need some validation or, you know, whatever it is that gets you kind of out of the ditch. So I'm getting better at knowing when I need to connect with somebody. And sometimes that's just a human connection. Hmm. I am so with you on that, Melissa. I've been a lone wolf. I, mean, I think I'm unemployable at this point because I've been a lone wolf for about 25 years. I haven't had an employer. I have had my own business. And the truth is, and this is what's really real for me, is I'm terrible about asking for help and I'm terrible about collaborating with other people. And this year has changed that for me. Mike Vicante has changed that for me, to be honest, because before Mike came into my life, I did my own programs. I did my own thing. I wasn't interested in really being a part of anything else. You know, I wanted to create my own movements. I, I mean, it was all about everything I could control myself. Because mm -hmm. if I could control it, 
then I knew what the quality was going to be. I knew who the players were going to be, and I knew what I could expect of myself. So all of those things. Well, then Mike Vacanti calls. If you're listening to this and you don't know who Mike Vacanti is, Mike Vacanti is one of the founders of Humans First, and he and Kevin have been collaborating like crazy over the past year. But Mike brings me in, he calls me up and he says, hey, you know, would you be interested in being part of this Humans First thing? And my first instinct was, I don't know you, dude. I don't know what, you know, I don't know if you're any good. I don't know if there's an agenda there. I, I mean, is one of suspicion, to be honest, because I've seen so many people in, on social media and so many people want to be an instant expert and my trust level wasn't very high. And so he stayed in there with me and he kept me engaged. And when I finally met Mike and realized, no, he really does care about this topic because these topics, humans first, the topic about authenticity and purpose and putting humans at the center of the workplace, these were such important topics to my heart. And I didn't want to invest in being a part of conversation with someone who wasn't real about it, right? And so when he started hit these conversations and started bringing me into these conversations and started bringing me into the Humans First community, it was the first time I really started to see that collaborating with other people around these conversations is much more powerful than anything I could ever do on my own. And I think that instinct to do it myself was a self-preservation thing more than anything, to be honest. I mean, I could call it all sorts of other things, but it really was, I knew I could control it. And so it was about control, really. And Mike helped me see that together we're stronger. We're better together, right? Hashtag better together. Yeah, you said that so well, Kimberly. You pulled that all together. You know, I was with you at the Humans First in Charlotte. And as you were speaking, what kind of popped into my mind was, oh, I met people there and we had conversations. You know, Humans First is unlike anything you've ever experienced because it's not just people standing on the stage, you know, handing you information, giving you content, but it's really, Mike has designed this so that everyone has a voice. That's the beauty of it. And that was the part that I found just so fun and so valuable. And that last hour where we kind of sat in that round, it's like a town hall, like everybody gets a part, everybody gets peace. But one of the things that really struck me in that circle was we are all human and we all share some of these vulnerabilities that no one wants to stand up and admit. No one wants to say, man, there was a lady in our group in Charlotte and she said, I did this thing with my team and it was the absolute worst thing I could have done. I screwed up like I did a terrible thing. But in sharing that, I saw every person around that circle nodding like, I get it. I've been there. Like we've all been there. Well, what was great about her sharing, Melissa, was that in her being vulnerable enough, and I think this is what we're trying to do today, right? The three of right. us. And her right. being vulnerable enough to take the mask down and show her humanity and show that she's not perfect. She allowed every single one of us in that circle to do the same, to go, wow, I can relate to that. Wow, I've messed up in the past too. Wow, I'm still working on this too. And I think, you know, that's the power of the conversation we're going to have today around imposter syndrome in that, you know what, if we can say, hey, look, this is what's real for us. This happens for us sometimes on a daily basis. And it's okay. And that doesn't mean you have to let it stop you. But this is a real thing that many, many of us are dealing with. And how do we get through this in a way that makes us better instead of shuts us down? Absolutely. Well, just one more thing about the humans first thing. The other piece, when I first started to learn about Mike's work, you know, we are all so defined by our work. You know, I remember when I decided to step away from this organization that I had been with for over 10 years and I loved it. And I took that big, scary step forward and decided I was going to go do my own thing. And there was a, I had a little bit of an identity crisis there for a bit until I got established individually. But I think the thing, and it ties into imposter syndrome to always remember is that we are humans first. And so all of us face things that impact our work that's outside of our work. Family, you know, just a 
boatload of things impact what we do at work that doesn't have anything to do with work. And so, Mike, one of the things that I'm most grateful for for Mike is, you know, reminding me that we are all humans first. The work part, while that might define us like in this kind of middle part of our lives, that should not define us as human beings. So that's the piece I take away. Every time I get to see a human's first anything, that's what I take away. Well, and it is the human's first thread that's brought us together. I mean, that is what allowed the three of us to meet, the connection through Mike Vacanti, and then this whole topic of doing these jam sessions, they were to be human's first kind of things. And what is more human's first than talking about this imposter syndrome? I mean, that's one of those things that's just so core. And it's funny, you all are talking about the Charlotte meeting, and I have a friend who was there. Yeah, I'm not calling out names because I don't have permission, but there was a few moments at the beginning of the meeting that that voice was rising up to them. You don't really belong here. You don't quite fit in, right? And that, to me, that's the essence of this imposter syndrome, you know, that you're somewhere you don't really belong being. So whatever that means. So as we dive into this conversation, how do you understand or define the imposter syndrome? As we're talking about that, what does it mean to you? Melissa, you want to go first? What it means to you? Sure. What it means to me is, so we all have this inner critic in our head and that inner critic, mine can be a Bitch, am I allowed to say that? She can be a bitch. <laughs> bitches. So it's not just one critic. There's a whole bunch of them at times. <laughs> of course. Right. So, you know, for me, the imposter syndrome is when that inner critic gets louder than reality. So I know what I can do. I know where my shortcomings are. I know where my strengths are too. And for me, imposter syndrome is when that inner critic starts talking over the voice in my head that says, no, no, you got this. You can do this. I mean, we have that voice too. So I think that there have been times in my life where that inner critic is just squawking so loud that I think everyone around me can also hear that inner critic. Everyone around me must know that I can't do or, you know, whatever this critic is saying, they must all agree. Everybody must surely agree with my critic. Mm. And that's where things, the reality starts to spin out of control for me. And I need to take a step back and say, you know what? That's not true. We can talk ourselves in or out of a lot of things. And whether you believe it can happen or you believe it cannot, you're right. Who said that? I think Jeff Eichler taught me that quote, actually. Mm. But it's true. You know, whether you believe that it can happen or you believe it will not happen, whatever you believe is what will happen. And so... For me, the definition of imposter syndrome is when that voice gets so loud that I forget who I am, that I forget what I can do. Melissa, I love that definition of the imposter syndrome, when the inner critic's voice is drowning out what we know to be true. Kimberly, how about you? You know, it's interesting. It's a little bit different for me. And my definition is certainly not going to be as elegant as Melissa's. But for me, it doesn't come about. So it's not my own voice that. Mm tends to show up, you know, you know how your strengths are kind of your Achilles heel. Well, so for me, I think one of my strengths is being able to step into somebody else's shoes and to imagine what they think and what they feel, right? And so for me, the imposter syndrome is about other people's expectations. Mm. Wait a minute, your perception? Well, my perception and sometimes I think my catastrophizing of what other people's expectations are, because sometimes people will say to me, like, you know, when you live on the East Coast, for example, people on the East Coast tend to, you know, the first questions they ask, where did you go to school? What are your degrees? Where do you work? How much money are you making? It's, it's about things that, quite honestly, aren't that important to me, but that's what the conversation is centered around. It tends to be on the East Coast in professional circles. Mm. And so my history, my story doesn't follow a normal path for what it is I do in life, what I've chosen to do with my life. And that's never been a problem for me. I'm going to go for it and put myself out there and add 
the value that I am here to add to the world. And if you find that valuable, that's awesome. And if you don't, that's okay with me. And I'm actually good with that. But then I remember I had someone, it was actually my next door neighbor in New York. And when I, we were having a conversation, you know, what is it you do? And I told her, you know, I, I'm a leadership educator and I do work for SMU and I do my own work. And SMU is Southern Methodist University, if you don't know what, you know, what SMU is. So I've been a leadership educator for the last 20 years. And she says to me out loud, this is her out loud voice. She says, um, what gives you the right to do this work? Mm. Mm. And it's really interesting how much I've carried her voice with me everywhere I go. You know what gives me the right to do this work? Me. I've given me the right to do this work. But what's interesting is I always, I'm thinking about what do other people expect an author to be? And people talk about experts. You've got to be an expert. Well, quite frankly, I think an expert is BS. I don't think any of us are experts. I think we all are working to be our best and to really understand something. And so when people put me on a pedestal and expect me to be an expert, I feel like I can't be that what you're expecting of me because I'm me. I'm just Kimberly. I grew up on a ranch in Montana. You know, I've worked my darndest to understand what it is I understand and to bring my voice to the world from my vantage point. But I'm not an expert. I mean, I think collectively we bring our expertise, but I'm not the owner of all things leadership and certainly not all things bravery and that we can take that whole conversation into imposter syndrome someplace else. But for me, the imposter syndrome really is, is when I allow what I perceive expectations to be of where I am in my life professionally. And those don't measure with my experience of myself, right? I'm just me. I'm no better or worse than anybody else. And so I'll take it to the bravery thing. You know, I write a book about bravery and now everybody expects me to be the, I actually was keynoting a couple of months ago and somebody was tweeting at the moment that I took the stage about to hear from the queen of brave. And when I read this tweet after my keynote, I thought, oh, sister, if you only knew, you know, because at that moment, I wasn't feeling terribly brave. And to have to talk about bravery when you're not feeling brave, you feel like a big freaking imposter, yep. right? But that's what it is to be human. There's another perspective, even as I listen to you say that, Kimberly. And it's like, yeah, that's one of the bravest people I know. To talk about bravery when you're not feeling brave. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. But it's interesting. I think, I mean, I feel like my work in the world is to show people, you know what, we can be afraid and we can be nervous and we can be uncertain and overwhelmed and feel all of these things that we feel as human beings. And we don't have to let that stop us. Mm. And I think that's why I do what it is I do. But what gives me the right to do what it is I do? It's not that I've got a PhD from Columbia. You know, it's not that I was the CEO of Amazon. It's that I've had my own journey that has led me to some insights that might help some people. And if they help, they're useful to some people, great. But that doesn't mean that I'm, you know, this person on a platform. I don't know. But it also doesn't mean that you're not because I have been witness. I have been witness, Kimberly, to people. You have moved people. You, you resonate. You have a gift. You're able to talk to a room full of people and every single person in that room feels like you're talking just to each person. But I also have a similar experience in that I had someone say to me, I claim to be a neuroscience geek. I don't claim to be a neuroscientist. I claim to be a neuroscience geek. And I've spent my career, you know, my path started. So hold on, what does being a neuroscience geek mean to you, Melissa? So my neuroscience geekiness started when I was a fourth grade teacher. And I sat down and did the postmortem with my mentor after my first year teaching. And to talk about what worked well and what didn't work well and where did I need to grow? Like what areas did I really need to get strong in? And my question that year was, how can I possibly teach children to learn if I don't know how the brain learns? Mm. Like, if I don't know how the brain works, if I don't know those factors that impact creativity and cognition and problem solving, and, you know, if I don't understand that cortisol actually engages the survival part of the brain, and when our survival brain is engaged, 
we're not doing our best thinking. So I can't send kids into a high stakes testing situation where they're all stressed out and say, do your best work. It isn't possible. And if I would have had that kind of knowledge back then, you know, that was my point was I've learned all of these methods and instructional strategies and theories, but I don't know how the brain works. So I started there and I, you know, got to where I am today. So Kimberly, to your point, no, I'm not an expert and no, I'm not a neuroscience. I'm me. I've used all of this self-discovery and this curiosity and this, you know, research base that I have, like that I just have this love for learning. And I've done this for the last 25 years. And I know that learning isn't confined to the classroom. And I know that I know things that can help people in their work, in their lives, in their relationships. And I literally had somebody tell me about four weeks ago, you are deceptive. You cannot talk about neuroscience because you're not a neuroscientist. And you have to tell people from the people that you're not a neuroscientist which I don't have a problem. I mean, I always share the, I was a fourth grade teacher story. So I think people pretty much know <laughs> that I'm not a neuroscientist. But to your point, Kimberly, I'm me and I have a lot to share. And I can help people in a lot of ways to share what I've learned, just to share my knowledge. And I'm not done learning. I learned from you. I learned from Kevin. I learned from, you know, work that I read today. But that's where that imposter syndrome, like if you don't learn how to shut that voice down real quick, because now I'm in a better place. If I would have heard from that lady, you know, two, three years ago, I'd be scarred. I would really have a hard time getting past that, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. this is an audio podcast. We may have to do something with the video because folks, <laughs> if you can see the video, crazy. Over here, like just <laughs> jumping like crazy. So jump in, Kimberly. Well, here's what I love. I mean, I love so much about what you just said, Melissa, but it just is proof that what your gift was your natural curiosity and hunger to serve your students, right? Which led you down a path of learning and growth and knowledge, right? And it's that hunger. And, you know, you can get a PhD and not have that hunger, right? Absolutely. You can be a neuroscientist and not have that hunger and that passion and that curiosity. And I think our society is so hungry to find formulas. And God forbid, there are a lot of people in our industry that want to give, here's the six steps to <laughs> you can become an expert if you do this. And there are no formulas in life, you know? And I, if I want one thing for all of you who are listening to take away from there are no formulas create your own formula because it's in our thirst to find the formula to fit into a formula that this imposter syndrome really starts rearing its ugly head because you know what makes you great melissa is that you didn't follow a certain path right that you bring your wonderful rich unique history to the neuroscience conversation and you make it accessible in a way somebody who's been studying in a lab for decades could never make that accessible to other people and i think my value add is the fact that i look at the world differently my value add is the fact that i didn't go through traditional channels and didn't learn leadership in a traditional way because now I have something fresh to add to the conversation. And so if you're listening to this, you have something fresh to offer. It's that are we brave enough yeah. to chart our own path? And then when you do, how do we, and this is what we're all dealing with right now, how do we maintain our sense of self and strength and our own value in the face of the fact that we didn't chart a traditional path. We didn't follow the formula that everybody else thinks we should follow. That is so true. And I'm sorry, Kevin, but I have to say that. <laughs> hey, this is... You need a three-hour podcast, Kevin. I know, right? Who knows? So that is so true. And I think, you know, I've done a lot of work with growth mindset and fixed mindset. Now we know organizations can have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. But to your point, Kimberly, of you know, chart your own course and bravery. It's brave. It takes bravery to chart your own course. So for all of you out there that are listening and you think that that's just easy peasy, it's not. I mean, it takes courage and it takes bravery. And I think the other piece of that is like when you finally step up and say, okay, I'm going to chart my own course. I'm going to do this thing. 
this is where the imposter syndrome got me. Because when you finally stand up and say that, now you don't want to tell anybody it's not working. You want everybody to think that everything is working and that you're not making any mistakes. And I know there have been, I stand up on that stage and I talk about the fixed mindset and the growth mindset and how we have to embrace mistakes and failures as stepping stones to learning. And yet, I don't want anybody to know any of my failures like that. Are you kidding me? No way. Just see the good side of me. Don't see that all that stuff. And it's all that stuff. You know, over there that you had to like claw and, you know, keep climbing and you failed and then you step back and you go, oh, that's why that didn't work. And now I can apply that and I can make it work the next time. Those are the things that make me me, not my accomplishments. Right. Yes. Yes. You know, it's all of those things that make me who I am today. It's really all of the hardships, all of the struggles, all of the obstacles that make us, that's the best part of us. And no one wants anybody to see that. Mm. And yet, and yet that is our greatest connector, right? Right. And as I was getting ready for this podcast and I was thinking about this, you know, I was feeling really vulnerable and I was like, wow, man, I'm outing, I'm outing my stuff in a way that, and I don't have an editor. (laughs) Right. This could be ugly. And yet at the same time, I know what I know to be true and I teach it, which is, you know, ironic, right? Is that it's our vulnerability that is our greatest connector. It's our humanity that allows us to connect to the hearts of each other. And so um, I just lost my train of thought. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) You said that so well. It is the vulnerabilities and, you know, that's what makes us authentic. Yes. And the other thing I have to say, you know, we thought we kidded about this before we started recording this thing that we we had we were putting a whole lot of trust in, in Gavin. Like, gosh, please don't use this against us, you know. And <laughs> but, I mean, the other piece of that is you have to surround yourself with trust. Is such a big part of you know the human experience. And Mike Picante talks about that all the time too. You have to trust the people you're with and you surround yourself with those people, you know, and I, I like, I love, you know, being able to learn from you. And I love being able to say, gosh, Kimberly, I did not know that you taught me this really cool new thing. And, you know, the same to Kevin. And I think, you know, for the people that think they're the smartest people in the room, well, then I say you're in the wrong room because (laughs) you can always learn from someone else. Always. There's always something to learn. So I want to, call out a couple of things. One, thank you both for saying that you trusted me and for trusting me. But folks, it's really you, the listener, who all of us are entrusting ourselves to. And we were talking about this before we hit record, because this is something that you all could just take this and, you know, malign the three of us. Oh, did you know? You know, you could start tweeting, they're an imposter, they're an imposter. Hey, folks, the reason why we're talking about this is because we know you have felt this too. And it's by us wanting to talk about it and out that people who are accomplished. And so I can sit here and I can go, yeah, I know Kimberly is accomplished. I know Melissa's accomplished, but me, I'm just stumbling my way through life, you know, but that's that voice that we all deal with. So I'm curious about this. I want to ask two questions. And one, I want to know when or how does the imposter syndrome show up? for you. Kimberly, is it always that voice of your neighbor from New York? I mean, do you just hear that on soundtrack? You know, kind of like it did that day, whatever the tone of her voice was. And two, do you have any insights to the origins? I can tell you, I mean, this is one I've struggled with. I think one of the things that I wish, well, I can't say that. It wasn't always a gift when I look back, and that was being labeled gifted in school. And I remember some year in biology, I mean, there's just a big block in my life that I still struggle to get over. A biology teacher, whatever the test was on photosynthesis and all those other things that go with that, I flunked it big time. And the teacher was in front of the room and I wasn't the only one that flunked, but I think I flunked better than anybody else flunked that day. (laughs) Yes. And he's just in this tirade, you know, and he's walked around the class and then he stops right in front of my desk. I mean, he's spitting. He's so mad. And he says this, and I still hear the voice today. I mean, I can still, if you're gifted, I thank God I'm a jackass. And then he started handing out the test. 
And mine was the first one handed out, you know, so it's kind of like, okay, the voice in my head goes, huh, these must have been lowest to highest. He started here with his rant, you know, so, so many times in my mind. And then I think back to a client. I was working with a hospital system in Texas, and we had been very clear with them that this was some new work, new work for us. We're using a valid instrument that's been used by hundreds of others, but it's our first time using it. And the designer of the instrument is helping us and coaching us. But in the meeting, someone asked, in all of your experience with using this, how do we compare? Right? And in that moment, I felt that they were wanting to expose me. And it was just like that teacher yeah, you don't know anything about this instrument, right? You're the fraud here. So for me, it's always that fear that I'm going to be exposed as the fraud. And people are going to find out that he really doesn't know what he's talking about. And folks, the honest truth is I've never claimed to know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I just claim to have some unique perspectives and they're mine. You know, they don't have to be academically validated anywhere. It's just how I see the world. No, I mean, I still get that, Kevin, because, I mean, let's get real. I was in theater for 20 years, and now I'm teaching leaders, right? And so what does an actress have to teach leaders and people who have been in corporate America for 30, 40 years? And, you know, I remember, okay, so you talk about specific incidences. I remember probably about, 23 years ago, or maybe it's a little bit less than that, but someplace around there, I had my own corporate events company. And how I got there is a long story, so I won't go into that. But I had my own corporate events company, and all my work was done through Corpcom. And I had been doing all of the company meetings for a big company called Corbus, which is a Bill Gates owned digital media company in, based in Seattle. And there was a new VP of corporate communications coming in. And she came in and she observed my work for a couple of weeks and she was really impressed with my work. She was looking at growing their team. I had my own business. I would say probably 85 to 90% of my business was with Corbis. I actually had an office in their office, but I had my own business. So I was essentially freelance, right? And so she brings me into her office and tell me about your background. Mm -hmm. And so I tell her about my background and she looks at me and she says, oh, you're not what I thought you were. And I don't know what it was. I got on my high horse. I think I was coming to the defense of all actors everywhere, right? And I said, you know, here's the deal. Corporate communications is all about really understanding what people need and experience so they can really communicate powerfully and they can engage fully in, in their work. And I said, you know, what actors do better than anybody is understand basic human motivation. And I think, you know, really, if you need to understand basic human motivation, you're vastly underestimating the value that I bring. And it was the first time in my life that I had articulated, you know, what I bring to the table in that way. But from that point forward, I've always thought people are saying, you're not what I thought you were. Mm. You're not what I thought you were. And so, you know, I'll be standing in front of a group of 500 people And if I'm not really careful, and I'll hear that you're not what I thought you were in my head, and that's where the tools, you know, it's for me, my whole, all of my work has been teacher, teach thyself, right? You know, so all of my work is about, you can show up more powerfully if you focus outside yourself, get clear on your purpose, you focus on impact. And it's because I have fought the battle of hearing these voices in my head, you're not what I thought you were. So as soon as I hear this, that's when I go, what's the impact I want to have on this human being so I can get the focus off of me Mm. and onto somebody else, which allows me to show up more powerfully. But I have to tell you, left to my own devices without my own tools, there is no way in the world I would be able to accomplish what I've accomplished in my life. You know, Kimberly, you said a couple of things that really resonated. One was meeting basic needs. One of the theories and one of the things that I learned when I was in preparatory school to be a teacher was Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what we know is that, you know, if you're stuck at the bottom of that pyramid, just trying to meet those needs of physical safety and psychological safety, then you're not going to get up to self-actualization where all of the 
that's where the risk taking happens. You know, if you're safe and if those basic needs are met, and then in the middle of the pyramid is belonging. If you feel a sense of belonging, well, then you can take those risks. Then you're not worrying about how are they looking at me? Do they think I'm an idiot? Do they think I know what I'm talking about? Am I what they thought I was? You know, because you belong. You belong to that group. And so but it is, Melissa, it's that vulnerability, right? It's that vulnerability. And what Brene Brown talks about, the emotional exposure, right? So when you are putting yourself out there, you're afraid you're going to be rejected, that you're not going to belong. So then you pull yourself back into safety, right? So if you're focused on, I don't belong, if you're focused on those messages, this, all the stuff that we're talking about today, it is almost impossible to really take ownership and power in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I will say this, we are wired to connect. Our brain wires us to connect with one another. We need to be that sense of belonging. And when you have that, that enables you to have that sense of vulnerability. You feel safe enough to put it out there and say, I made this error. I made this mistake. I failed over here, but I've learned from that. And this is how I've grown from that. You know, that takes trust, but that also takes a sense of belonging that you're not going to get kicked off the island for sharing that. Right. And at the same time, though, so that's where really creating, if you're listening and you have influence over building culture in your organization, that's where creating a human's first culture really will make a difference because if people have that sense of belonging, they're able to take those bigger risks and they're able to put themselves out there. But at the same time, we can't afford to wait to feel that sense of belonging before we step out and take powerful action. And that's why we have to be able to have strategies to be able to get out of our own heads when we're not feeling that sense of belonging so we can take powerful action so then we can move through it and experience ourselves differently. Because if we wait often for the island to go, yes, we love you, you might just sit, spend your whole life waiting on your couch. Absolutely. I could not agree more. And one of the things that I have learned is when I am feeling like, oh my gosh, what is everybody thinking? Or when the imposter syndrome starts to kind of creep up, I know that's when I need to reach out. I can't wait for people to come to me and say, you belong. You're part of my family. You're part of my tribe. Welcome to the island. That's my cue to go find somebody, to connect with another human being in a positive way. A human being that I trust, yeah. a human being that I know will support me, that roots for me, which is why, you know, we talk about this community on LinkedIn. One of the best things that Sarah Elkins has ever given me is this community of people. And I know that on any given day, I can reach out and I can find Heather Younger, or I can find Kimberly Davis, I can find, you know, and Susan Rooks, a number of people who I can just reach out and ask a question and I can get support. And that's my job. Because to your point, if I wait for everybody's got lives, everybody's got things to do. And if I wait for that to happen, then I'm going to be left in the dust. But the other thing it teaches me is, okay, now I know I can recognize that when it happens. And I know that I've got this strategy that will get me out of my own head and get me back in my zone. And then, you know, and hopefully I get to reciprocate that to other right. people. And I think that you just hit on something really powerful. If Kevin feels it, you feel it, I feel it. And I'm sure 99% of the people listening feel this. And I know many of our friends feel this, is that it's not that we don't feel this stuff. It's not that we don't bump up into our own stuff. It's that we've all developed really powerful strategies and we have people that we can turn to who have powerful strategies to help bridge where we are to where we want to be. And I think that's why imposter syndrome hasn't stopped me in my tracks. It's because of my strategies. It's because of the people I surround myself with. Agreed. What's an early warning sign for you? Because, I mean, there's one thing between just having that random thought and feeling that voice is seeking to take up residency right? It's come there with the U-Haul to move in. It's not just passing by and going, eh, you don't have it today. But I mean, it's really looking to park and just kind of dump on you. When do you recognize that? What's an early warning sign? 
Well, so for me, Kevin, I mean, I think the warning signs, I get the voices in my head. I get, I'm not taking action. You know, I'm really stuck. But what I found really helped me deal with not having those warning signs come up quite as often is developing strategies to set myself up for success. So I know that if I'm going to give a keynote to a really big group where it feels like the stakes are really high, I better darn well prepare and prepare and prepare and prepare and know my stuff inside and out and be clear about the impact I want to have and really set myself up for success. Because when those voices come up, then I'm prepared to be able to deal with it. But if I haven't prepared in advance to be able to deal with it, it's like exercise, right? If you expect yourself to run a marathon and you haven't even, you know, stretched in six months, you're probably not going to do a very good job. And so I've got rituals in place that helps stave off my own imposter attacks. So what's one ritual? Well, one is exercise for sure. And one is, so writing, exercise, those are two really big pieces for me. And then when I calendar out my preparation, I don't wait to have free time to prepare. I put it on my calendar to prepare for things that are coming up. So I will look at how much time I think mm-hmm. I want to really spend. And I tend to be an over-preparer. And then I'll put it on my calendar so that time is sacred for me to actually spend working and preparing mentally. And for me, it's just as much of a mental game. You know, I mean, it's what are the messages I'm telling myself? How do I get what am I thinking in terms of the impact I want to have on the individuals? What do I know about the individuals who are going to be in this space? What are their needs? I'll do a lot of research but it's ritualizing my preparations. Mm. So I'm not just leaving it to chance because anytime I leave it to chance, that's when my stuff comes up and hits me upside the head. What about you, Melissa? Well, a couple of things that I was thinking of as Kimberly was sharing her story was one of my rituals is visualization. And what I know about the brain is the fears, the dangers, and the threats make a much bigger impact on our conscious awareness than the good things. And the reason for that is that's what's enabled us to survive extinction for, you know, millions of years. We pay attention to the bad things. We pay attention to the bad things so much that when you look forward and you start to say, like, one of my early signs is, what if I trip over my feet and fall down walking up the steps? What if I, you know, whatever. And you start to play those loops in your head. And, you know, then it's your blooper reel. And so one of the things that I know is that I've been able to get up on stage and not trip over my feet and actually deliver, you know, something worthwhile. And so I try to shift my focus to that. And if it's a brand new talk, then it's, I want to see myself rock this thing. I want to see myself, you know, look at the faces and the, you know, the engagement and the folks that I'm talking to. And I think it's really easy to get sucked into that. Oh my gosh, what if I can't? What if I don't? What if I forget? What if I go over? What if it's not long enough? You know, all of those things that then becomes like not just a voice, but a chorus of voices that I know is that is what my mind is supposed to do. Make sure that I pay attention to the fears and the threats around me. But I also know that I have control over that. And I know that I can choose to visualize, you know, it all working out in a much better scenario. So for me, visualization is a really powerful tool. Love it. Love it. What about for you, Kevin? What are your rituals? What staves off imposter syndrome? (laughs) So a lot of mine are just knowing, like you all said it to me, there's a lot of preventive maintenance for me and it's, I looked and I counted. The last time I counted, and this kind of may sound obsessive to some people, and maybe it is, but it works for me. I have 36 little alarms that go off on my phone every day. They're not different alarms. It's probably about seven or eight of the same alarms that just go off multiple times that are just reminding me of what's important to me, how I want to show up to the world, how I do show up to the world when I'm being me. So it's just kind of keeping me anchored in that. And then the other is... Kevin, I'm totally stealing that. I love that. I'm totally stealing that. (laughs) (laughs) 
okay, so here's how I set them up, Melissa. There is no sound, right? They don't vibrate or anything. So if they come up in a meeting, they're not disturbing. But when I look down, there'll be four or five of them that I have to clear. And I just read it. Three seconds to read it, but I just screw it. So like five o'clock in the morning, four years ago, four and a half years ago, I was in a meeting. And the question was, how do you want to show up in the world? When you're at your best self, how do you show up in the world? And for me, there are three words there, and it's wrap. It's radiant, abundant, present. That's how I want to show up every day. So those start my morning at 5 a.m., and then they show up around 8 or 9 a.m., and then at midday, and then at the end of the day. You know, just So that's an example of what that is, little mantras that I may have. But it's every day. It's seven days a week because I just know I always need it. And then the other is just having people in my life. People like you all, people like Mike Vacanti. Mike and I have become such dear friends and speak several times a week. But it's just knowing, as you said, that there are people that I can call. And we kind of have some code words, you know, like, got a minute? (laughs) Got a minute means I need a minute. Usually it means I need more than a minute. (laughs) Exactly. What it means is I'm on the edge of the cliff about to fall in or jump in. Can you help me? right? So it's just knowing who those people are. There's another thing, and we've touched on this a couple of times. I want to come back to it and ask each of you this. As I've wrestled with this, the thing I've realized is I suck. I mean, I'm just going to say I suck at trying to be anybody else and trying to be something other than I am. But you know, when I'm just being me, I'm pretty dang awesome right? And nobody else can be me. And so it's just that, just recognizing, hey, I am enough and I'm good enough. I may not be good enough for you. If I'm not good enough for you, heck, find another podcast to listen to because I've now learned there's 660,000 plus podcasts. But the folks that listen to this podcast are people that are very interested in the topics we're talking about and interested in authentic living vulnerable conversations, and wanting to find their real self and the courage to live in their real self. Kimberly, I'm going to say to you, I love, and you know this, I have not been shy about this. I think everybody in leadership needs to read Brave Leadership. I second that emotion. To me, I think it is destined to be a classic. It's one of the best leadership books. And I'm going to tell you, when I started reading, I'm trying to figure out the cover, the arrows, where's that coming from? You know, and maybe a third of the way through the book before you introduce that. (laughs) And it is all about courage and it's the courage to be you. So, you know, E.E. Cummings, it's one of my favorite, and I'm not a big poetry guy, but I love this one, to be nobody but yourself in a world that's doing its best night and day to make you somebody else, everybody else. That's the hardest battle to fight. We never stop fighting. And to me, the imposter syndrome is all of the chorus of voices trying to get you to be somebody else and to doubt that you really are good enough as you are. And just to add to that, Kevin, because I think be who, be you, be you powerfully is one of the most important messages we can get. But at the same time, I think people skew that a little bit and use it as an excuse to, well, I'm just being myself. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just, and they can use it to be hurtful and they can use it to not take responsibility. And so the way I look at authenticity is be you powerfully, constructively, and responsibly. Be aware of the impact that you have in the world because how you show up in the world matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to make this the mutual admiration society, but I will say, I mean, Kimberly, you really challenged me and my thinking of authenticity in your book to say, hey, it's up to the other to assess whether or not they feel we are authentic. We want to show up and be authentic to our way of showing up in the world. I may be being authentic. And I'm not talking about, I never believe authenticity is a guise for being a jerk or for being rude. Right. But just being you, being the real you, but you still may not like that. And you may deem it as not. Well, that's your call. And I can't influence Mm -hmm. that call that you make. Kevin, just one more thing to add on to that. You know, in that being you and recognizing your worth and recognizing your value. And in those times 
where the imposter starts to get louder and bigger and more overpowering. I think for me, one of the things that I have to remind myself is would I talk to anyone else the way I'm talking to myself right now? And the answer is typically no, because I think people are innately good. And I think in my experience, I think people like to lift others up rather than tear them down. And when I am talking to myself the way I wouldn't talk to anyone else, it's time to change that speaker. It's time to give the microphone to some other speaker in my head. Mm. And so in that whole being you and being authentic and being present, part of that is also embracing you for all that you are, all of the gifts and all of you know the shortcomings and all of the things that you struggle with because all of those things collectively make you you. And that's the gift, right? That's the gift. I think, you know, the truth is, is Melissa, when we get that message, you need to listen to Kevin's podcast with Tracy of World Blue, because she was so articulate and she had this fantastic, Mm. what really stuck with me, Kevin, as I listened to that podcast is she was talking about, and she's a very spiritual woman, but she said, think of you are God's love and think of God as the sun and you are the sun's rays and you would never tell the sun's rays you're not enough because why would you do that? That just doesn't make Mm. sense. And so I think whatever your faith is or whatever you believe, thinking that you are enough, what you said, Kevin, you are enough and you are the ray of enough. Why would you ever say something negative to this person who is enough? All right. So, for folks that are listening and are still going, yeah, 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 that's all good <laughs> for them, but they just don't, that doesn't apply to me. Let's talk to those people briefly who are really in the pits of despair at this moment. And I know there are people that are there. And I know because the three of us, we've been there before. There are times we've been really discouraged in the, the pits of despair. What would you say to them? And what's a practical thing you would encourage them a step forward? The first thing I think it's important to realize is that it's not that for some people it comes easy. You know, I think we have this fantasy that some people just, it's easy for them. And for me, it's not, but for them it is. And what I'm hearing from all three of us today is we are working on our stuff every single day, sometimes every situation in every single day. And we've got rituals in place and we've got processes that we use and strategies, and we are working all the time on being able to work through this stuff. So the fantasy that it's going to be easy someday, that's fantasy. There is no easy button on this. To really be and bring your best, most authentic and powerful self, what I call brave, to show up bravely in the world is a one situation at a time thing. And for me, you know, that's the same. It's, that's what it is for getting through the imposter syndrome. It's if I'm not working my stuff every single day, it's going to come up. And that's what's real. There is no escape. So it's not just one day at a time for you. It's one moment at a time. It certainly can be. It certainly can be. I mean, what I think is so cool about this world is that we get a redo in every situation we face, right? So let's say I mess it up in this conversation with you or I say something that's hurtful to Melissa. In five minutes, I could call her up and say, wow, I really blew that. And you're important to me. And I'm sorry. You know, you can redo it. You can own your stuff. You can put something into place to get better. I mean, as long as we have breath, as long as we're alive, you have a chance to do something different and do something better in the next situation you face. But with that comes the responsibility of doing that. I love that. Melissa. Yeah, Kimberly said that. I don't even know. Like, I was just kind of in awe of what you were just saying. And you're so right. And, you know, I think the only thing that I would add to that is that we're just never done. We're never done. If we're done, we're dead. So, I mean, the idea that you're going to get to this perfect place means you're done learning. It means you're done growing. And you're never at that perfect place. You know, it's kind of like, if you always think that that next goal, that next milestone will complete me. I will have arrived if I get this. You know, it's the rabbit at the racetrack on the mechanical, you know, the mechanical dog. You never catch it. 
because once you reach that milestone, you set another one just, you know, beyond that. And that is the beauty of growth that you never actually are done. So, you know, for me, the other thing that I would say is if someone, if you're not struggling with imposter syndrome, someone you know is. Because, I mean, the the statistics are like over 70% of people have experienced it at some point in their personal or professional lives. And so if it's not you, then it's someone you know. And so just having the awareness means, you know, you can be more sensitive to what's happening in the people around you. You know, what just came up for me as I was listening to you, Melissa, something that was coming up for me when Kevin first started sharing early in our conversation about some of the messages he received from teachers and other people in his life. And that is in recognizing the fact that the majority of the population experiences this to some degree is to realize the responsibility that every single one of us has in the impact that we have on other people and the words that we choose and how we show up with other people. And people are gonna misconstrue things sometimes, that's gonna happen, but to the best of our ability, to take real responsibility for how we communicate with other people. So I don't remember who was it that said it, that you just don't make it worse. You know, it's like, you don't have to change the world, just don't make it worse. I don't remember what it was, but how can you leave a legacy with the people in your lives, whether it's your people in your team or the people in your family or the people in your community or the person, the woman at the checkouts, you know, at your grocery store or Starbucks, how is your legacy going to be not leaving them with these messages that we carry with us our whole lives that somehow communicate that we're not enough. So, Melissa, to your point, and Kimberly, that's so beautiful. I want to come back on that in a moment. There was an article in Harvard Business Review, 2015, what CEOs are afraid of. And the number one fear of CEOs is what? To be found incompetent, to be exposed as an imposter. So this is universal. And it's not just, the other point is there's not a position in the organization that you get to when this goes away. This is something that plagues everyone that is a high achiever and is on a path of achievement. So, and then Kimberly, the other thing that you just said that I just want to call out, wow, we have brief encounters, dozens, hundreds, every day or in the course of a week. And and there are people that are struggling that we may not know they're struggling, but we could just be sensitive and touch them in some way. I don't mean physically touch them. I'm not saying go (laughs) hug the police. Maybe you do. I don't know. But just when you recognize somebody struggling, there's an opportunity to lift that burden and just have a kind word. And then for me, that closes out. I'll just say there is no such thing as a small act of kindness, right? It may not be a big deal on your part, but the impact of is way beyond what we'll ever know. So this has been a delightful conversation. Melissa, tell people that want more of you in their life, how can they do that? Well, you can visit me online at melissahughes.rocks. Or you can read my book, Happier Hour with Einstein, and there's a full-color companion gratitude journal, and both of those are available on Amazon. Awesome. And Kimberly Davis, the same? Well, I am all over social media. So I've got a Kimberly Davis author Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on stage Kimberly on Twitter. And um, so I'm very, very active on social media because I believe that bravery doesn't happen in a vacuum that we need each other. And so I invite everyone to connect and join this conversation. And I've got two websites, the braveleadershipbook.com and onstageleadership.com. So I would love to connect with whoever wants to have a conversation. Okay. And then just a final word from each of you, parting remark, whatever you want to say as we sign off here. Well, I'll go first. I just want to say thank you both for sharing your thoughts with me, not just in this podcast, but also in our conversations. I think one of the biggest gifts you can give someone is to say, you're not alone. I felt that too. I know exactly what you're talking about. And especially something like this, because we don't want to share that soft underbelly and, you know, tell people where our flaws are. So 
to be able to share this with you, Kevin and Kimberly, and with your audience. Kevin is just a gift in and of itself. So thank you both for that. Thank you, Melissa. Kimberly. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, this has just been a gift. And I guess, you know, I think the gift is in being with you both, of course, but in allowing myself to be seen in a way that I don't do very often. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you gave me the platform to work on the courage to do that. Wow. Well, thank you both. And hey, if you've listened to this and you've been encouraged, it would encourage us to let us know that. So you've got ways to reach out and we'll include that in the show notes. Well, thank you, Kimberly. Thank you, Melissa, for joining me for this conversation. This was a candid conversation, folks, totally unscripted, just wanting to deal with the struggles that each of us have had and still have with the imposter syndrome and also talk about the strategies that we use to overcome those struggles. And I hope you are encouraged in your journey. I don't want to recap this conversation. I do want to share a couple of things. Here's where I've landed on this. Failing to be or live true to myself, that's when I get messed up with the imposter syndrome. I cannot be an imposter when I am being my authentic self. You may or you may not like me or my actions. You may think me a jerk, phony, any of that. But if I'm being true, I'm no imposter. And this is where being clear about my values, your values, unique strengths, skills, and abilities is most important. And, you know, I'm just amazed when I realize that these struggles are the number one fear of CEOs of the largest companies in the world. The fear of being found incompetent. So you are not alone. You are not alone. And then I also love it that Maya Angelou struggled with this. Here's what she wrote one time. She shared that I've written 11 books, but each time I think, "Uh uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. That was despite winning three Grammys and being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize and a Tony Award. This legendary talent still questioned her success. So don't be surprised when you question your success or when you have those struggles or you hear the voice of the imposter. I'd love to know what's rolling through your mind right now. You know, you can email me, Kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can pick up the phone and call me if you still do that, 678. 744-5111. And until next time, I want to invite you and encourage you to live, love, and lead with purpose and be your authentic self. Do you have a high stakes initiative that is stuck, stalled out, or stymied, and you're not sure what to do now and how to forge a path forward? The situation is not as grim as you think it is. We can help. Contact Kevin to explore how a winning conversation may be exactly what you need to break the gridlock, unite your team in purpose, and accelerate traction. Call 678-744-5111 or email kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com. 